Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. The church is the most beautiful, powerful, and transformative institution on the planet. To unify every class and culture of people and birth community despite our differences. No other institution has been commissioned with the life-changing gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. To bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from death to life. The church is not an event we attend or a building we enter, but a family we grow with and people we love. This is the church. This is the church. So, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All right, well, good morning again, Hope Church family. I want to jump right in. Open your Bibles. Hopefully you have them on an app or physically on your lap. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, we're going to be there in just a moment. As you're turning there, uh, this series has been on my heart and just been praying and preparing for months, and it is finally here. Very, very glad you joined us for the 1030 service here this Sunday. I want to start with a question, a question you no doubt have an opinion on. Here's the question. Don't answer out loud. Is the world around us getting better or worse? Don't answer out loud. Is the world around us getting better or worse? As I studied that this week, you can study anything. You can Google anything. Uh, A lot of people actually say it's getting better. Maybe you're here today and you're optimistic. Praise God. There's people that say, you know what? Because of renewable energy and because of technology, we are in a place in 2024 like never before. And we are best set up for the future. The world is better right now and getting better than it ever has. Others of you clearly at the 1030 service would say, no, 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 it's getting worse. I, I can't give you some data to prove this necessarily, but I know my own lived experience. Maybe you can agree. I just feel like in my 37 years of life, people are just like more mad at each other now than like ever before. Maybe it's technology, and I know there's like, you know, there's some wars going on in countries right now. We're praying for that, but there's like a ton of wars going on in comment sections all over the place. People are just, they they actually call them keyboard warriors. I love that. Behind that glowing screen, they can just say whatever they want to say. People are just at each other's throats. We're divided, I feel like, more than ever before. I saw this this week. I thought it was a funny representation of this. This is true in our life now. Me, I prefer mangoes to oranges, Random person. So basically what you're saying is that you hate oranges. You also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruits. Educate yourself. (laughs) Is that not like everything you see on social media? You can't even like make an opinion now without somebody saying, are you serious? I can't believe you think this. Seems like we're angry, mad at each other. There's a lot of reasons. People are fighting. But not only that, there seems to be a 
an isolation epidemic. Maybe post-COVID, we've just seen a lot of this. You know, there's a lot of studies now post-COVID that are kind of showing a lot of, you know, disregard to, to, to being, people being together, a lot of isolation happening. And sometimes that's chosen, sometimes it's not. Here at our own city, that's one of the things we hear a lot as we minister to people. In a transient city like Las Vegas, there's just people that feel alone, isolated, there's this secular research group you may have heard of called Pew Research. They had this statement to say about loneliness I thought was very interesting. They said there are fewer friendships and a lack of connection, meaning, and purpose. This is so interesting coming from a secular organization. People feel unseen, and this has created a culture of emptiness. Maybe you feel that like I feel that in the world around us. So the question is, how do you fix it? How do we fix this? And of course, there's not a short line of people lining up to tell you, oh, we got the solution. We are now in 2024, election year. Yay, we're all so excited about both parties telling us they know exactly what will fix all of our problems. We approve this message. We'll be hearing that on repeat for the next eight months and even longer. Some would say politics. Some would say better education or equal opportunity or justice reform. Listen, these are all really good things, but can they deliver on their promise to fix this? You're here at a 1030 gathering at Hope Church. I'm sure some people in the room would say, no, no, no. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one that can fix all this. Yes, yeah, somebody believes and I, I would say yes. Amen, of course, Jesus. He is the hope for the world. But what if I told you this morning that Jesus himself died and rose again to establish the very thing he desires to be the agent of change in a hopeless and lost world? What if I told you that as we've been saying in promotion of this series, despite the chaos and confusion, the disrespect and division that seem to be the air that we breathe, there was something that has been designed by God for every class and culture of people to foster community despite our differences. What if I told you that in God's sovereignty, he birthed an institution for a mission to bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from death to life to be a beacon of joy that is unbreakable and eternal hope that is unshakable. Now I could go on the campaign trail with that right there and I could say that exists and people would say, what is it? If that exists, I will give my whole life to that. I will fully immerse myself in that. Tell me what it is. You know what it is? The church. I feel in the room, we don't even have to leave this building to sense some doubt in that. Is that really what I just described? Most people on the planet would not say the church was God's design for everything that I just described. Is this really the institution that's supposed to bring good news of great joy for the whole world? Let's be honest, as we've been saying, as we've been promoting this series, the church is often misunderstood, misrepresented, underappreciated, and blatantly ridiculed. The church might need some new PR. So what are we doing in this series? Here's why we're doing this series. I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm leaning in 
to the fact that if you're a Jesus follower at Hope Church, that, that we would recapture the wonder of this incredible thing that Jesus died for. You know, my burden as a pastor of this church is there are followers of Jesus that fill church buildings every single week that actually have more community and are more connected at their kids' sporting events than they are in the church of Jesus Christ. There's Christians that, that have more community and are more connected in CrossFit gyms in our city or neighborhood book clubs in their neighborhood than they are in the very thing that Jesus established that you might grow and be most connected in. See, we have an issue with how we even view the church in the body of Christ, in the family of faith. What if the church really is the dearest place on earth? Many people have asked about this title. What's this title about? It comes from one of my favorite voices in history, the 19th century pastor, Charles Spurgeon. Look at what Spurgeon said. He said, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment that I did join it, if I'd found one, I should have spoiled it for it would not have been per perfect church after I had become a member of it. Amen. Still imperfect as it is, it is still the dearest place on earth to us. I love that this title is actually pulled from a quote stating the church's imperfections. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth. Now as anticlimactic as it's about to be, I need you to hang on with me for just a moment because I'm gonna seem very contradictory in the next few moments. I need to say from the beginning and get us all on the same page, the church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is not a place. I know that sounds contradictory to where, hey, amen, amen, You're ready to go. The church is not a place. The church is a people. I want to show you. Hopefully you have it there open. First Peter chapter 2. I want to show you this people. Starting in verse 9, look what the word of God says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here's our word. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the problem with that is we live in such an individualistic society that when we read that, a lot of times we read that for myself. Like I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. Listen, there are incredible things in God's word that speak to you individually as a follower of Jesus. You are chosen, redeemed, and adopted into God's family. But this word you here, every time you see it in this passage, in the original language is not a singular you individual Christian. It is talking to you a people, it is plural. Now, you guys all know I'm from the best coast, which is the West Coast, but this is where my Southern brothers and sisters can really help us out because we don't really have on the West Coast a way to say you, plural, but they do back East, right? How do they say it? Y'all. I sound goofy even saying that, but it's a good way to look at this Greek word. It's talking to a people. It's not talking to individual Christians. A lot of times we want to take these Bible verses that are speaking to a group of people and make it all about me, myself, and I. This is speaking to a people together. The church is not a place. It's a people. But don't miss this. It's a people that have been 
placed. See, if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church family, you are not here by accident. You might be able to say it was your job that moved you here or another situation that moved you here, but you are here on purpose by a sovereign God placed in this church family. And part of this series is inviting all of the Jesus followers that call Hope Church home off of the sidelines. I've been saying that for 18 months now. Some of you are here and you are still spectating God's activity. And I'm calling us as a church to begin to be participants in God's activity, not just spectators. Listen, you were not saved to sit on the sidelines. We need you as a part of this body. We need you as a part of this church, the dearest place on earth. I know for some of you, you're having a hard time reconciling the dearest place and church being in the same sentence because you've been disappointed by the church. A church is made up of sinners. We are imperfect. You will be disappointed in the church. If you haven't already, you will be disappointed at Hope Church. I will disappoint you. I've been here for over 17 years. I have been disappointed by the Hope Church family at one time or another. And you will too. But some of you, it goes deeper than disappointment. Some of you are here and you've been deeply hurt by people who, who are followers of Jesus in the church. I, myself, our team, our pastors, our staff, we may have deeply hurt you. And I just need you to hear from the jump of this series, if that is your story, I am sorry. I understand that there are legitimate hurts here. And our prayer as we study this together by God's grace is you would see like Spurgeon, as imperfect as it is, the church can be and is the still the dearest place on earth. So we're praying that no matter where you are on the journey in the series, you would be inspired, comforted and invited to what God has for you. Because in this series, we're gonna study what the church is. That's on the table for us to do today. We're gonna look at who leads the church. We're gonna look at what does it mean to be a, a part of the church? What does it mean to be a member and really follow through with the calling God has on your life as a part of this church? And then what is our mission? What is our mission? We're gonna learn a lot in this series. I believe some of you have been sitting in church for years and there's gonna be some new insights from God's word, but I just need you to know don't think this is just knowledge for knowledge's sake. The point is to fill our minds with knowledge and fill our lives with the passion that God has put in us to be the church, to walk out what he has for us when he established the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church family, I hope you fall in love with Jesus more in this series. I hope you fall in love with his family more in this series. But I also know there's people here every week that are not a part of our family. There's visitors and guests. And there are some people here that, that don't follow Jesus, that are just kind of checking things out. We're so glad you're here. You are welcome here. But my prayer is that throughout this series, you would be irresistibly drawn to Jesus and his family, the dearest place on earth. So what is the church? That's what's on the docket for us to cover today. What is the church. Most of the time when you read this word church in the New Testament, it's the Greek word ekklesia. Everyone say ekklesia. Sounds so good. Ekklesia is a compound word. It means called out ones. It's kind of what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we've been called out. We are the called out ones as the church, the, the separated ones, the, the holy ones, just like we already read. This is what the church is. 
I wanna give us two realities for our time together this morning of these called out ones. As we discover together what is the church, two realities of the called out ones. Here's the first. The church is universal and local. The church is universal and local. We'll take each of these individually. What does it mean that the church is universal? Simply put, universal means all Jesus followers of all time. Every single Jesus follower that has ever existed all over the world makes up the universal church. Some people have referred to this as the big C church. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard that. The big C church is every Jesus follower across the ages. For ages now, God has been saving people and welcoming them into his family. Even right now, as we sit here at a 1030 service in Las Vegas, Nevada, all over the globe, Jesus is building his universal church. The first time we actually see the word church in the New Testament is a beautiful verse that I want to spend some time on. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you underline stuff in your Bible, this is a great verse to underline. Look at these first words from Jesus himself. I will build my church. Amen. This is not man's building. This is not another institution's building. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords just promised us, I will build my church. And he is at work right now doing that in our midst and where we can't see it all over the globe. I will build my church. And look at the next part. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Full stop. No one can stop the building of the universal church. I hope this gets some of you excited. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation saved by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith is building his church right now. And you're a part of it. You're a part of this, family. He's building his church. But I love the part that most of us miss in this verse. All weekend long, there's been people going, man, I've been reading the Bible for years and I've never seen it. As I studied this verse, did you notice the gates of hell? Think about it. Gates are a defensive mechanism to keep something out. See, that's not how a lot of followers of Jesus look at the church. The church, we're the ones with the gates to keep that pesky old devil out, right? We gotta get together and we gotta really hunker down and make sure that the devil doesn't get in. That's not what this verse says. This verse says the church is on the offense. This verse says because Jesus is building his church, there's the hell needs some gates because we're pressing forward and we're building the kingdom of God. Listen. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and against, we, we wrestle against powers that are unseen. But take heart, Jesus follower. You are on the winning team that is on the offense to push back what's dark. And they need some gates. We're not the one that needs gates. They need some gates. The church is universal. So what does this mean? It means when you bump into the Jesus follower at Starbucks this week, they're a part of a really, really big family that you're a part of. When you get on an airplane this week and get that awkward few minutes where you're talking to the person next to you and you find out they're followers of Jesus too. They're a part of your really, really big family. Or you go to the other side of the world and you meet somebody that was a part of an unreached people group, but they just gave their lives to Jesus because they heard the gospel for the first time. They just became a part of the universal church, the really big family of God that the promise of the Bible says he is building. This is the universal church, but the church is also local. We'll give a simple definition of what that means now and more robust one later in the series. Here's a simple definition of the local church. 
a specific group of Jesus followers placed together for worship, community, and mission. This is what Hope Church is. One church across three congregations. Some of you didn't know that, but right now as we sit here, there's a, a congregation in Boulder City. There's a congregation in Henderson, and we're a congregation right here. What are we? We are a local church, a specific group of Jesus followers placed together for worship, community, and mission. Now, most people, when they read the New Testament, they think it's referring to the big C church, the universal church. But I want us to see out of the 114 times the word church is used in the New Testament, at least 90 of them refer to specific local gatherings of believers who come together for worship, community, and mission. So as you see the word church in the New Testament, no, 80% of the time it is speaking about what we have here as a local church. We already said it, but we live in a hyper-individualistic society. We all want our autonomy. Autonomy. So when, when somebody hears about the universal church, that's just kind of way too big to cramp my style. But when you challenge Jesus followers to drop anchor in a specific place, to give your life to real life community, this is where a lot of followers of Jesus draw the line. No, 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 no. That's too much for me. The problem is when we read the New Testament, that's primarily what we see. We are a people that have been placed together, not by accident, but together for worship, community, and mission. That's why for many, many years now, we've kind of had a mantra that you've probably heard if you've been around for a while. It goes like this. Church is not an event you attend. It's a family to which you belong. Church is not an event you attend. I hate to break to you if you said this this morning. You did not come to church today. You came to a building. The church came to a building. They filled a building. But you are the church. The church is not an event you attend. It's a family to which you belong. I need us to understand this at the, the precipice of this series. You cannot read the New Testament with integrity and not see followers of Jesus immersed in life-giving joy-bringing, hard conversation, having, having life-on-life -life community together. In fact, the local church is supposed to be the primary means for your discipleship. Well, Pastor Lance just prayed that we become more and more like Jesus. The local church is supposed to be the primary means. In fact, I would submit to you today boldly that I think it's impossible for you to be discipled the way God intends for you to apart from the local gathering of believers. Now, some of us have been so conditioned to thinking this is church that what you think I just said is you can't be discipled unless you come here, Scott, teach sermons. That's not what I said. I said you can't be discipled apart from the local gathering of believers, which is the church. This right here is a part of your discipleship. I know that. That's why we labor in preaching. We wanna do the best up here by God's grace. But listen, I am no fool. I'm not discipling a room full of a thousand people as they just watch me talk to them. It's a part of your discipleship, absolutely. But so many Christians fill a room for one hour a week and hope to be discipled in the ways of following Jesus. It will not happen. And some of you are here and you're stuck and you're wondering why you haven't been discipled. This is not church. This is a gathering of the church. You know what else is a gathering of the church? On Wednesday nights when a bunch of students in the other building gather for worship, community, 
and discipleship, worship, community, and, and mission together. Friday, we had a young adults gathering here. That's the church gathering, the young adults, 18 to 25, gathering for worship, community, and mission all over our city this week. Many of you are a part of it. In homes with some chips and salsa and their Bibles open, small groups will gather for worship, community, and mission. One-on-one discipleship relationships that'll happen in coffee shops and restaurants all over our city this week for worship, community, and mission. This is what it means to be a part of the church. And here's my burden. Some of you are just on the outside of that. Been coming here for, for years. Just on the outside of that, and I'm praying in this series I'm praying that you give yourself fully to what God has invited you to. I'll just be very honest with you. I have been praying that the Holy Spirit would hunt you down. (laughs) You think I'm joking? (laughs) That the Holy Spirit would hunt you down and show you the life that's just on the other side of what you've given your heart fully to. Because some of you are stuck right now in an unsatisfactory level of discipleship and wondering what the problem is. You are a part of a family. And as a part of that family, You're you're called to invest and give and be known and not just sit and hear a sermon once a week. That's not how you grow. We grow together in a family to which we belong. The church is universal and local. Just a reminder, we're answering the question, what is the church? The church is universal and local. Here's a second truth for our time together today. The church is described with metaphors. The church is described with metaphors. As you read the New Testament, there are many metaphors that God uses to describe his church. These are not literal. They are metaphors. They are figures of speech that point to a specific aspect of the church. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to look at three of those metaphors that are very beneficial for us as a family. Here's the first metaphor we see in the scriptures. Building of Christ. The building of Christ. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. We won't, we won't dissect it and look at every single word of this passage, but this, this is one of the many passages that unpack the building of Christ that we see in the church. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 19. Here's what God's Word says. So then you, again, that's plural, are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See this building, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet. This is important. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, you see the building, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As I said, we're not going to preach this line by line, but this is a beautiful thing that we see in the scriptures. We are a building And praise God, we are a building with a pretty firm foundation. His name is Christ Jesus. He is our cornerstone. The the cornerstone of a building was, was what every other stone was measured against. It's the most important part of the building. Jesus is the most important part of the church. And because he's the cornerstone, don't miss this, it means that the church will never fail. Listen, individual churches will fail. You've seen that. But the universal church, it cannot and will not fail. Some of us need to hear this because we get caught up in the fear culture around us. It doesn't matter who the president is in November, the church of Jesus Christ will not fail. 
It doesn't matter what world powers come against us. And by the way, when I say us, I'm not talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about us as followers of Jesus. Whether it's Iran or China or another world power, it does not matter what kingdom might come against us. There is a greater kingdom and his name is, he's, he's leading, his name is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. You know, I have such confidence in this. Not only because of what the word of God says that he will build his church, but also because of history. If you look at history, Jesus' church will never fail. If you don't believe me, go find somebody that was a part of the Roman Empire and ask them how it's going. You can't because it's gone. I don't know if you're a student of history. I'm in seminary right now, and I'm actually taking a church history class. The Roman Empire was unbelievable. The Roman Empire gave us so many things in our world that is, it baffles the mind to see what they had come up with so many years ago. The Roman Empire was everything in that time and space. And yet now people fly to the other side of the country to take pictures of the rubble and the ruins because it no longer exists. Every empire will rise and fall, but the church of Jesus Christ will never fail. Today, in today's world, we don't really have physical empires as much, but we have more digital empires. Some of us need to hear that because we're really scared of AI and all the new things that are coming out in technology. Google is not eternal. Some of us need to hear this. Meta and Mark Zuckerberg both have an expiration date. This one's gonna be hard for somebody to hear, but there will be a time where Amazon no longer delivers to your house. I know it's painful when some empires fall. It is painful. But listen, all of those will one day come to an end, no matter how big and strong they are, because the Roman Empire was everything. Nobody thought the Roman Empire would fall. And yet, despite the Roman Empire falling, despite persecution and famine and a million other reasons why the church should have shut its doors, on and on and on, the church continued to grow and to expand, and the kingdom is alive and well today. Why? Because Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, and he is the cornerstone of the church. The church cannot fail. It says here in this text in Ephesians that we are members of the household of God. I love all this language. Being joined together, growing together into a holy temple. Some of you don't love this aspect of the kingdom, but it's true. As a church, we are a family. We are a family. And just like your physical families, there's a different levels of maturity within the family. If you don't believe me, follow me home in just a little bit and I'll show you some different levels of maturity going on in my house. And I'll be willing to bet it's the same. I love that the Bible speaks to this. The Bible talks about as a family of faith, there's different levels of maturity. I just read today in my God time in Hebrews 5 about the babies and the mature people in the church together growing in a, in a household of God. I've had three babies in my, well, I guess my wife has had three babies. I have not had any babies. Um, if you know our story, we have four kids. God gave us our fourth through adoption. But if you've ever had a baby or you know in a household with a baby, they are a mess. They don't contribute. They just make a mess. I mean, they can't, they can't feed themselves, but they, they sure get rid of what you fed them and then expect you to clean it up. They can't even digest themselves. If you think about it, that's what you're doing when you throw that baby over your shoulder and burp it. It's like, you can't even digest the things that I gave you. They can do nothing. They contribute nothing except they're still a part of the family, would you agree? What kind of parents would say, until you can contribute, you're not a part of this family? No, 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 that would be a bad parent. 
Just because they're not contributing doesn't mean they're, a part, they're not a part of the family. They are babies. And some of you need to hear this because you're a mature person here at Hope Church and you're a little bothered by the babies. Babies make a mess. Babies make a mess. That means if we're really walking out our calling as a church, there will always be a mess in our midst because we will always be reaching new people. That's why we baptize people up there. Praise God. You know what that means? We got some babies and it's good to have babies because that means we're growing into a household of God like this word says. I saw this doormat the other day. Maybe you have something like this in your home. This is the doormat for a house. Excuse the mess. We are busy making memories. I need to remember that as a dad sometimes because I get really fed up with the mess. Anybody else? <laughs> I need to realize, well, well maybe I need to be thankful for the mess because we're making memories. I'm still there. Sanctification is a process. <laughs> but as I saw that doormat, I thought, you know what we need to have in our Discovering Hope class? You know what we need to constantly remind ourselves of as a church? Something like this. Excuse the mess. We are busy making disciples. As we make disciples, there will be mess. There will be some, some un, un messed up things in our midst because it's like, yeah, there's some babies growing. There's some mature folks, but there's some, some babies growing. Let's make it plain. Let's make it plain. A church with too many babies without some mature folks is dangerous. Think about it. if you went to a house and there's seven babies and no babysitter. Somebody call CPS. This is a problem. A church with too many babies without some mature folks is dangerous, but this is also true. A church with too many mature folks without babies is dying. We need to always be okay, always be okay. So if you're here today and you're bothered by the babies, let me encourage you. If you're wondering, man, who's gonna disciple this guy in my small group who just doesn't get it? Can I tell you something? You! <laughs> Please don't think I got to get him to hope to hear Scott talk. No, no, no. You have much, a much better capability, life on life, of discipling that baby to maturity. So don't resent their maturity. Understand God's called you to be a part of making them mature. This is how we grow up together in the household of faith. We are his building and he is at work. Second thing, you guys got to listen faster. We're almost out of time. Second thing we see, metaphor, is the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 is this incredible text. Again, please mark it down, read it this week. Incredible text speaking to husbands and wives. Ephesians 5, it's an incredible text. And here's how this text ends. This mystery is profound. What mystery? Everything he just said about husbands and wives. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We see this in the word of God. The, the church is called the bride of Christ. We discussed it briefly last week, but Jesus is the faithful groom and the church is his bride. Husbands, I want you to think about how much you love and honor and, and desire to be with your wife. And we are so flawed as, as men. I think of my own wife, how much I love and, and want to protect and honor Candace. And, and I'm just a flawed, sinful man. How much more does the perfect king of kings desire and want to protect and love his bride. He's righteously jealous of his bride, for his bride. He gave his life for his bride. He longs for the affection of his bride. And why this is important is because there's a popular phrase, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've even said it. It goes something like this. I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. I mean, come on, I can love Jesus and not love the church. I want you to think about that in real life for just a minute. Let's put this on the ground. Imagine you hanging out with me and we're starting to develop a friendship. 
and you actually really like me. And to a point where you say, Scott, man, can we hang out all the time? I love you, man. You are so fun to hang out with. But there's just this one little caveat, just this one little thing. I hate your wife, Candace. <laughs> That's not going to go well for you. Imagine if you said, no, no, seriously, Scott, like when I come over, man, I love hanging out with you. But every time I come over, could you like send Candace to Costco or something? Because I just want to hang out with you. I don't want to hang out with your bride. No, nobody would think that's a good idea. Why? Because it doesn't work. You can't say you love me and hate my bride. And yet so many followers of Jesus say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his bride. As imperfect as it is, it is his bride. I love how Dr. Tony Evans said it. He said it real plain. I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. They are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married either. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Amen. Amen, Tony. Listen, church family, the, the design of God for the people of God is to be joined together, to grow in all that he has for us. And that only happens as we are together with a mutual commitment to each other and to the mission God has us on. We are the building of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And last but not least, we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We're not going to spend a ton of time here since this is really the crux of our week three sermon in this series. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, again, another great passage to study this week in your God time. 1 Corinthians 12 gives this incredible picture where Paul describes the church as a physical body. He says, think about your, your, your arms and your legs and your eyes and your ears. They all are designed to work together. You cut one of those things off and it can't operate the same way apart from the body. The body was meant to, the physical body was meant to operate together. Each member playing its part. And he says the same thing with the church. Every single one of us as the church family has a part to play. We are all members of this body. And some of us are not functioning as we are supposed to. Some of you right now, if you're honest, you are atrophied in your function here at Hope Church. And I'm, I'm here to tell you over the next few weeks that we are a disabled church when other people in the, the, the members of the body aren't operating the way they were supposed to. So here's what we're calling you to in this series. We're calling some of you to some spiritual, physical therapy to start to function again like you were meant to in the body of Christ because we need you. You have a purpose. You are not placed here by accident, but by God's sovereignty, you have a purpose. We are the building of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Here's the question to end with today. How can these metaphors be lived out if we don't gather together? Think about it, if we all just got our little two by two acre land with our families and we're just gonna do this thing and follow Jesus without the church, all over the world, every Christian just spread out. We're just gonna get our little spot and I don't need anybody else. I just need me and my family. How would we be the body of Christ? How would the members of the body work together? How would we grow together, as Ephesians 2 says, in all that God has for us? How would we be a shining example of what the bride of Christ looks like? Listen, we wouldn't. We can't because we never were meant to. That's why most of the letters of the New Testament are not written to individual Christians. Most of the letters of the New Testament are written to churches, to local expressions of faith, followers of Jesus, committing to each other and to the Lord to do this thing together. 
That's why Hebrews chapter 10 says it very plainly. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I can't do that in your life and you can't do that in mine if I'm never with you. Really with you. Not here in this room. This is awesome. But we're not living life together. Look at the next part. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The rest of this series, we are going to look at the local church. It's on my heart as the pastor of this church to celebrate and highlight all the beauty of the local church, how we need each other. It's actually exactly how it was designed as the dearest place on earth. So I want to end with an anthem that I want to be on our lips as we leave this place today. Here's the anthem. I don't come to church. I am the church. This is simple, but if we really got this, I don't come to church, I am the church. Because it's an anthem, I want us to all say that out loud together and mean it. Say it like we mean it. Here we go, one, two, three. I don't come to church, I am the church. You imagine if we actually started living this out? One of my desires, you've, you've heard me say this, I don't desire to be a pastor of a, a massive church with a bunch of people that are disconnected and come for one hour and don't have any bearing on each other's lives all throughout the week. That's not how God designed it. How do we make a big church feel really small? We actually believe that and live it out. I don't come to church. I am the church. What if we actually started living out what we see in the Bible for God's desire for his church You know, he actually gives us a glimpse of what that could look like. Giving you a lot of reading this week, you should also check out Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is this beautiful picture of what life-on-life community and the fellowship of faith could look like. Problem is now in the church, we look at Acts 2 as this radical, no way that could ever happen again. I believe it could. I'm trusting the Lord that it can right here in our midst. Go read Acts chapter 2 and see the way they really, truly lived life Together, won't he do that in our midst now, in this dearest place on earth called hope? Because right now, the church is gathered. Right here at Henderson and Boulder City, right now the church is gathered. But in about 15 minutes, the church will be scattered. The church will be scattered all over the city of Las Vegas. This building will be empty. I promise you, because I come here in this building every Tuesday when I'm fasting and praying, just praying for our church, and I'm the one guy in this whole building. I I am the church, yay, but I'm by myself. (laughs) I didn't come to the church. I, I am the church, and the church is scattered all over the city of Las Vegas as lights to a dark world. The building is empty, but the church is engaged all over the city. This is what God's desire is for the dearest place on earth. So I want to end with a challenge The first one's really simple. If you're a part of this church family, I'm gonna ask you to be here over the next several weeks. We got some really important family stuff to talk about. So if you're a part of this church family, be here over the next few weeks as we study God's word. Second part of the challenge is is to memorize some scripture together. You remember, some of you remember at the beginning of the year, we did a series called Life Marks. We were saying as we become the kind of people that abide in Christ, connect in community and share in the mission, There'll be some things that mark our lives as followers of Jesus. One of those things is loving and living in God's word, being people of the word of God. So as we've brainstormed some ideas of how to highlight that and kind of keep the balloon up of being people of the word, not only are we gonna give you some reading assignments like I just did just several times throughout the message, here's some ways you can connect in the word of God this week, but also taking some 
strategic times throughout the year, like sermon series like this, and memorizing some scripture together, memorizing the word of God together. So I'm gonna challenge you. If you're a part of the Hope Church family, I'm gonna ask you to memorize two verses of scripture in four weeks. I believe we can do two verses of scripture in four weeks. What are the verses of scripture? The ones we already read, Hebrews 10. I want us all to memorize these together. We're gonna make it a part of our gathering is when we say out loud. Some of us will stumble through, hopefully not cheat and be looking at the Bible, but out loud together. Some of us, remember we did this several years ago when we walked through Psalm 145. We're gonna do that in this series as well. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together today. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. So grateful all weekend long, Lord, to gather together as the family of God. And now we're gonna get ready to scatter all over the city for the glory of God and the good of the city. As we respond now for just a few moments, Lord, give us grace. Lead us where you want us to be. Response is pretty simple today. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm curious if you would be bold enough to follow Jesus in whatever it is he's calling you out of this message. The word of God was opened. The spirit of God moved. Where is God challenging you to take a step of obedience? However that is, all over the room, I pray we would do that as followers of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and you're here today, I hope you've heard very clearly, Jesus is building his church. And that might mean today you become a part of the kingdom of God because he's at work even right now building his church. So if you don't know Jesus and you wanna know what it looks like to follow him, you just feel a, a stirring and a pulling. I believe that's the spirit of God pulling you into a relationship with him that you were created for. So in just a minute, moment, we're gonna have a prayer team down here. I'll be down here. If you'd like to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, we would love the opportunity to share with you what it means to become a disciple of Christ. However God's moving, as we sing this song about him being the cornerstone of our faith and our church, let's sing and respond to however God is leading us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. You are the cornerstone and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond as the Lord leads.